Keep that going for Pastor Jason and Lindsay. They have led our church so well uh, for 11 years, and we're excited about this time uh, that they can rest and be filled with God's Word. So let's pray for them and for the next few weeks and for today's gathering. Uh, Father, uh, thank you so much. Um, you know that I have been burdened all week asking your spirit to move in this gathering and through song, there is no doubt that you did. You answered that prayer. And as we sing how great thou art, we are reminded of your power, your strength, but also your incredible love for us. Uh, we pray for our, our pastor, uh, Lord, that you would fill him uh, with your spirit and your rest uh, so he can rest in you over these next few weeks. Uh, fill him with your word, Lord, so that your words become his words uh, when he returns. Uh, give him fresh vision for your church. Uh, I pray, Lord, for uh, the Gerdeses that you would bring great memories for them over these next few weeks, and they will return uh, refreshed and restored and rejuvenated. We pray for these next uh, few weeks, Lord, for our speakers, uh, for uh, Pastor Chad and for our student ministers, Dave and Jeremy, as they prepare their messages. And for today, Lord, uh, it's a simple ask. Reveal yourself in your word. I pray, Lord, that I would be faithful to your word, uh, that you would give me uh, your strength and your power and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's exciting that we get to gather together and open up John chapter 5. Pastor Jason finished John chapter 4 last week with an incredible story. Today, the first 18 verses, a lot of verses in John chapter 5, but there is a turning point in verse 18, a huge turning point in the Bible. We're going to find out today who Jesus is. Excited about that? Okay. All right. We're going to read, examine, apply, and pray these verses. That is uh, what we do in our community groups. It is a Bible uh, reading method. It's called REAP. It's pretty simple. What does God say? What does he mean? What does he want us to do about it? And how does he want us to pray about it? So let's start out in verse one. There's a lot to get to. After this, so referring to the story that Pastor Jason talked about last week, at the end of chapter four, the healing of the official's son in Galilee, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I wanted to know what feast this was. Uh, was it uh, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Weeks? Was it Passover? Uh, no one really knows which one it is, but if you're uh, a fan of golf, suffice it to say it was a major. So every, everybody in all of Judea would be coming to Jerusalem for this feast. And it says Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, and just for clarification, uh, you may be wondering, didn't didn't Pastor Jason say that Galilee is north of Jerusalem? How would we go up to Jerusalem? We wouldn't be in Blue Ridge and say, hey, we're going up to Jasper today. Uh, we're up to Canton. Well, Jerusalem was 2,000 feet higher in elevation than Galilee. So 
they would walk everywhere. They would walk up to Jerusalem. When, when you're there and you're, you're on one of these magnificent uh, 10-day tours, you, you start in Galilee. You're there for a few days, and then uh, you make that ascent to Jerusalem. And when you're doing that, you, you feel like you're one of the Israelites, except you're in an air-conditioned bus. <laughs> and the seats recline, and you've got a bottle of ice-cold water, and you're, you're eating a can of Pringles. Uh, but other than that, it's just like the Israelites. Um, so that's the context there, and context is important. So verse 2, now there is, or, or there is a place in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now, if I said to you, there is in Athens, Georgia, a place called Sanford Stadium, you would have a picture of that, right? Maybe you're thinking about the hedges, maybe you're thinking about college football right now, but you know it exists, you have a picture of that. You've been there, or you've seen it on TV. If I said, hey, after sitting for 25 minutes in traffic on Highway 20, there is a place called Target. You have, a, you have a picture in your head. Maybe, maybe you've already been there today. I, I don't know. Maybe you just had to run into Target for a minute. Oh, we're the only ones that do that. Okay. All right. But it exists. So it's important to know that when the Bible says there is or there is a place, that place exists for historical context, uh, just like the geography and the topography is important when you're reading the Bible. Uh, I've been there. I've been to the pool at Bethesda three times. This is what it looks like. There it is. That is the pool at Bethesda. They did not unearth that until the late 1800s. Uh, and it's amazing how those uh, guardrails were there thousands of years ago, um, painstakingly excavated. So it exists. We're talking about something real. Verse three, in these meaning in these five roofed colonnades at the pool, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Not to, not to make light of this, but this was definitely not the pool at Sandals Resort in Jamaica. <laughs> Nobody's drinking fruity drinks out of coconuts here. This is a, it's a difficult place to be. Uh, it was probably uh, pretty stinky, uh, it says it was next to the sheep gate. That's where they would bring the sheep in for the sacrifices. And if this was Passover, they would bring in 250,000 sacrificial lamb, take them up to the, to the temple mount and slaughter them in sacrifice. So it, it probably smelled bad. It was chaotic. It was loud. There were uh, people moaning and crying. So just to give you a, a little picture of, of what this looked like. Now, if you have an ESV Bible uh, like we teach through, uh, you may notice that that was verse 3. You may also notice it goes right to verse 5. No, you did not buy a factory second Bible. Um, it is not there because the earliest manuscripts did not have what is in some of the later manuscripts found. Now, it doesn't change the doctrine, doesn't change the story, but it does refer to a superstition. If you have a Bible that has verse four, refers to the superstition, or 
I just spit, sorry. Um, and that was the superstition. If you spit at the pool, no. Um, it refers to the superstition that an angel would come and stir up the waters. And the first one to jump in the pool, the first one to cannonball into the pool was healed. Just superstition. It was probably just an underground spring that would stir up the water. Uh, but it's not in, in our version here, the ESV. So let's get into verse 5, talking about this pool that is just filled with dirty water. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he knew that he had been there a long time. And he's been lying there for 38 years. Years, or he's been an invalid for 38 years. That's five years before Jesus was even born. But he's Jesus, he's omniscient, he knows everything. He's gone before us, he's out of space and time. Henceforth, ergo, and hither to which he knew him before the foundation of the earth. He knew us before the foundation of the earth. He knew that he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be healed? That's a weird question. You would think after 38 years, yeah, of course. Of course I want to be healed. But Jesus, as we found out last week, he's, he's after something. He's after something way more. And this question, this do you want to be healed is a remarkable question because there is something more. We use this in pastoral care. Let's say a couple comes in, they're struggling with their marriage. Uh, early on in that conversation, we might ask, hey, hey, do you want healing in your marriage? Which is a, a pretty legit question. And it's often met with a little bit of surprise, but to get to the how-to, there has to be, a, there has to be some want-to. And, and as Pastor Jason has taught us in John, you don't get what you want doing what you want. You don't get what you want going back to the old things that got you there in the first place. You get what you want doing the things you need to do to get what you want. So here we see this guy at the pool. He just wants to get in the pool. That's what he wants. Jesus says, hey, do you want to be healed? The guy answers Jesus. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. He's still thinking about the superstition of the pool. I got no one to get me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, while I'm going down, another steps down before me. Let's paint this picture. Jesus is standing right in front of him. The same Jesus that we heard in chapter four went up to Samaria to get into some areas of the woman at the well's life. The woman at the well has Jesus standing in front of her. Now, she didn't know it was Jesus. This guy doesn't know it was Jesus. We know it's Jesus. We have the context of Jesus being the living water. The woman at the well is trying to draw some water because she's thirsty and Jesus says, oh, I've got much better water. I've got water that's going to quench your thirst for all eternity and bring you eternal life. Here's Jesus 
once again, standing in front of water, the pool. The guy doesn't know it. So here we have this, this miracle standing right in front of someone, yet he wants what's over here. Let's not, let's not make too much fun of this guy because don't we do the same thing? Don't we have Jesus standing in front of us sometimes? And we're like, yeah, but, but I want what's over here. Maybe it's the new car. That's going to make me happy. Or the new house. I will be satisfied once I get the new house. Or the new job. Oh, once I get this new job. I know what it says about being growing where I'm planted, but once I get this thing, then I'll, then I'll be happy. Or the new spouse. We've got Jesus standing right in front of us sometimes, and we just want to get in the pool. Now, don't hear what I am not saying. I'm not saying that some of those things aren't good things. But when they become our source, that's where there's a danger. Because Jesus is our source. We're dead in our sin. We're dead in our trespasses. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. But, thank you. <laughs> thank you. One person. <laughs> but God. But God, rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ. So, so we've, got, we've got this unbelievable context in front of us of who Jesus is. And aren't you glad? Because I am. I'm, I'm really glad that Jesus is patient with me. Because so many times he's standing right in front of me and I'm like, I got to get in the pool. He's really patient with us. And he's patient with this guy. Jesus said to him, feel the compassion of Jesus right now. Jesus is the most compassionate ever. Filled with compassion. He's our suffering savior. It says so in Hebrews. And as a suffering savior, he gets where we are. He understands our affliction. He says to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Jesus, in his infinite compassion... His infinite power healed him. And he can do that. But as we heard last week, he can do that, but he's got something, something far greater in mind. He doesn't do the miracle without the goal of the earthly miracle becoming an eternal miracle. And he wants to do that. The, the point that Pastor Jason talked about last week was that all miracles lead to belief. And that belief is that he wants us to live eternally, that belief in Jesus. And we're called to honor him with or without the healing. But he's going after something here. Story continues, rest of verse nine. Now that day was the Sabbath. Ruh-roh. Yeah, the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse eight. One of the 10 commandments. Keep the Sabbath day. Why? 
Keep it apart. Keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God, God wanted us to set aside this day for rest. That was his principle. The principle was to rest. But the religious leaders, they added a whole bunch of stuff to it. They added 39 rules. 39 rules to the Sabbath. And if you, if you kept, check this out. If you kept those rules, you rested. If you didn't keep those rules, you were arrested. <laughs> Let it work its way around the room. I'm sure everybody got it watching online. Yeah, it, it, it got a little squirrely. It got a lot squirrely. And to this day, to this day, religious leaders, ultra-Orthodox Jewish people who are just uh, following what they believe to be the rules, uh, they're really strict. Uh, I grew up in, in Pennsylvania Dutch Amish country, uh, and, and I would imagine even the Amish are like, dude, turn on a light. <laughs> it's, it's not going to kill you. True story. Tel Aviv, 1992, there was a fire in an apartment complex, and the fire spread to two more apartments. And that did not have to happen. But the reason the fire spread to all these apartments was that the tenants of the apartment went downstairs and on a street corner had a conversation with a rabbi for 30 minutes over whether it was okay on the Sabbath to pick up the phone and call the fire department. True story, yeah. Because picking up the phone would break an electrical current. And according to one of the rules, that was considered work on the Sabbath. You go to Israel now, there's Sabbath elevators. You get on a Sabbath elevator and it stops at every floor. Every single floor. You can't press a button. It just stops at every floor. So if you're staying on the 15th floor and you've got to go to the bathroom, it's, it's going to be a long ride. They take it very seriously because they have taken the principle of rest and they turned it into practices. And, and again, let's, let's not... Let's not rail on, on the religious leaders because don't we do the same thing? Haven't we? I know I have. Haven't we taken principles from this and turned them into practices because of our preferences? We all have, we all have preferences. Sometimes we do that when it comes to how to do church. Well, we do church right, they do church wrong. We sing the right songs, they sing the wrong songs. Oh, they're, they're not raising their kids the right way because they're not schooling them the right way. So we, we, we do that. We have to be careful, though, that we don't take these principles that God lays out for us and turn them into practices just because of our preferences. Verse 10. So the Jews, and, and it's, it's important here, that when you hear the term Jews used here in Scripture, that you're not thinking about me, uh, you're not thinking about somebody you know, you're thinking of religious leaders who are walking around with a clipboard. That, that's what this really means. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. They're not... <laughs> 
They're not excited about what just happened at the pool at Bethesda. They're not like, Bob, <laughs> you're walking. This is incredible. Rabbi, come over here. It's a miracle. I don't know if his name is Bob. I thought it was funny. The first version, I had Eddie in there, but I thought Bob was funnier. Okay, it was just me. Um, no, they're, they're, they're more concerned about the personal property. They're more concerned that Bob is carrying personal property, which is against the rule of the Sabbath. They, they missed the miracle because they were focused on the method. Missed the miracle because they were focused on the method. Put it a different way, they were, they were more concerned that a rule had been broken than this man was no longer ruled by his brokenness. Following that? Okay. We got to remember, when Jesus died on the cross, he said something. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for the forgiveness of sin, to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sin, because this says there is a penalty. Romans chapter 6 says the penalty is death, eternal separation from God. But God loves us so much, he sent Jesus to take that penalty. Jesus dies on the cross. God raises him from the dead three days later. On that cross, Jesus taking the sins of the world for the forgiveness, for the payment of the penalty, he says, what? It is finished. It is finished. There's nothing we can add to that. There's no rules we can make up about a principle and add to that. If we do this, we're going to gain more favor with God. If I do this, God's going to love me more. Guess what? He loves you anyway. There's nothing we can do to gain his favor. He loves us. Back to the story. But he, the man who was healed, answered them, the man who healed me? That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Like, what was I supposed to do? They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? You can almost see him pointing, pointing their fingers. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. So Jesus came back. He got away from the crowd. Sometimes he did that. Came back to him and said, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Remember, when Jesus heals, it's not about the physical healing. He's getting to something deeper. And the deeper thing here is the eternal healing from consequences of sin. He's saying, hey, I see that you're well. You see that you're well. You are physically well. We all see that. But I am after your soul. He's saying, I've got dominion over your body. I've got dominion over your legs. But I also have dominion and authority over your soul. Sin no more. It's a command. He's not saying, see that you're well now. 
You better not sin, better not shout, better not pout. He's telling him why. <laughs> I'll get you before the end of this. I will. You'll be right with me the whole time. <laughs> He's saying, I've got power over everything. And now that you're well, there's going to be something in you that's going to make you want to sin less. My spirit is going to be in you, giving you the power to not sin. Now, we're, all, we're not always going to succeed, but there's something in us that makes us want to. So what he's saying to him is, hey, we're, we're not going to get healed and then go do whatever we want. And we don't want to be that people. We don't want to be people who receive the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the awesomeness and the freedom and then just go on and continue sinning just like we did before. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So they wanted to persecute him. They wanted to arrest him. But as for why they wanted to kill him, there's more to the story. But what I want you to get here is none of this is catching Jesus by surprise. He's, he's not surprised at the man's answer at the pool. He's not surprised that the religious leaders wanted to arrest the man. He's not surprised that the religious leaders want to arrest him. He's setting this all up. He knew, he knew that what happened at the pool, he knew that this guy's greatest day was going to lead to his own darkest hour. You see, this is all set up, okay? But Jesus answered, verse 17. This is an amazing use of the word answer. So you've got to, you've got to look at this You've got to look at this word answer and not think Jesus just said to him. This word is used as if we were in a court of law. This word is used as if we were defending ourselves. Some translations even say Jesus said in his defense. So Jesus isn't going to make an excuse Jesus is up in the game, and he is going to defend why he is doing this. But Jesus answered, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father can work on the Sabbath. I'm working on the Sabbath. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And what does it say here? Making himself equal with God. Equal with God. And that's the title of the message today. Equal with God. This answers the question, who is Jesus? So now it's game on. Game on. Everything, everything shifts here. Because now, now he's making this claim. And remember how we started 
this series way back, I don't remember what month it was, but back in John 1, that's how we started it. Uh, Pastor Jason went all the way to the end of the gospel according to John to chapter 20, verse 31. It said, all these things are written. Everything in here, the doctrine, the, the miracles, all these things are written. You'll get to that later on, you know, maybe next year in chapter 20, and you'll go, oh, wow, all these things were written. Yeah, all these things were written that you, listen to this, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And through that belief, you would have life in his name. Belief in Jesus, that you might have life in his name. Remember, our sin has separated us from life, has separated us from eternal life, has separated us from a relationship with God, but believing in Jesus is going to bring us life through his name. That's incredible. That's what we sang about. Awesome wonder. That's who it is. So the most important thing you'll ever decide is who Jesus is. So you might start thinking about that right now. Who is Jesus? Oh, we just answered that. He's equal with God. Now, I was guilty of this for 45 years. Before somebody told me about Jesus in 2006, I was the guy going, well, I believe Jesus wasn't just a guy. He walked the earth, said a few good things. That was me. You know what C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest authors and wordsmiths of all time, said about that kind of thinking? He said, that's utter nonsense. Nonsense. He's not just a guy. He's not just a good teacher. I've, I've had good teachers. I had a, a great teacher in ninth grade, Joe Kuda. I remember him well. I am not singing How Great Thou Art about Joe Kuda. <laughs> I, I'm not... I'm not I'm not saying Joe Kuda. Oh, awesome wonder when I think about Joe. But God, God went to the cross and took the penalty for my sin. He's worthy of that honor. Equal is an amazing word too. It's a, it's a Greek word, uh, isos. They were, they were obsessed with mathematics and arithmetic. And this word esos is where we would get the kind of triangle called the isosceles triangle. I told you I would get you back. <laughs> the isosceles triangle, it's equal on two sides. And this word isos here is saying that Jesus is equal with God in every form and fashion. Equal in value, equal in worth, equal in power, equal in strength, equal in mercy, equal in favor, equal in joy, equal in dignity, equal in deity, equal in godness. Everything that God the Father is, Jesus is. 
compared to God. He's not some other God. We're not saying, oh, LeBron James is just like Michael Jordan. We're not, we're not comparing Tiger Woods to Jack Nicholas. We're saying that Jesus is God and there's something amazing there. We get to follow him. That's an invitation. That is a powerful, joyful invitation into his freedom, into his mercy, into his grace, into his authority because he's equal in authority to God. He had authority over the Sabbath. God had authority over the Sabbath. Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. We'll get into that a little more in just a minute. So this incredible invitation is we get to follow him. We get to submit to his authority. Now I'm going to put a point on the screen and it's going to look heavy. It's going to be like, whoa, I'm not sure I'm up for that. But if he's God, it's a gift. If he's God, it's that invitation to his freedom, to his mercy, to his grace, to his joy, to his love, to his embrace, to his compassion. Here's the point. Jesus's equality with God informs his authority over us and demands our submission to him. I told you, it's going to be pretty heavy. Jesus's equality with God informs his authority over us and demands our submission to him. What makes that so awesome? When we get that, changes everything. Changes our worldview on every single thing. Changes how we do everything in our lives because now we're doing it Jesus's way. When we go to scripture, all right, what does Jesus say about marriage? What does Jesus say about parenting? What does Jesus say about finances? What does Jesus say about loving our neighbor? It changes everything, how you parent, how you love your spouse, how you give, how you love your neighbor, how you look at the workplace. Everything changes understanding that spiritual authority because he's equal to God. Because if it were any other way, could we do it? Raise your hand if you tried to do it your way. That's about half of you. <laughs> We've all tried to do it our way. Raise your hand if you found that Jesus' way is better. Yeah, every single time. This, this equal with God takes all the pressure off of us. That's why it's such an awesome, joyful compassionate invitation. He's got the authority over the Sabbath. He can have authority over me. I am totally okay with that because I tried it my way for 45 years. And, and now, now you've got some ammunition. <laughs> if somebody ever says to you, hey, uh, Jesus never claimed he was God. You've heard that. Jesus never claimed he was God. Well, he does right here. And he's gonna say it all through the rest of John. He's going to say all through the rest of John, things like the Father and I are one. He's going to talk to Philip, and Philip's going to be asking, hey, show us the Father. And Jesus is going to say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's going to have conversations with religious leaders who are going to ask him questions like, wait a minute, you said you knew Abraham? 
you're not even 50 years old. How could you know this guy born thousands of years ago? And he's gonna say, truly, truly, that I am. I knew Abraham before I was I am. He's referring to God saying that in Exodus 3.14. He's saying, God said to Moses, I am that I am, and go tell the Israelites that I am. Jesus is now saying, hey, that's me. I am. It's pretty cool how he does this. He defends himself by saying, my father. He defends himself not by saying, your father, or our father, he says, my father, and my father can work on the Sabbath. I can work on the Sabbath. My father holds everything up. Somebody's got to. <laughs> my father holds everything up 24-7. I'm going to hold everything up 24-7. I'm in the family business. My dad doesn't sleep or slumber. I don't sleep or slumber. Isn't that comforting? That's why we can take all our cares, all our worries, all our anxieties, all our fears to him because he cares for us, yes, but because he's watching over us. He is our strong tower. We can lean on him. When our foot slips, he'll hold us up with his righteous right hand, but we get to rest in him knowing he's awake. Give that to him next time you can't sleep. No sense both of you being up. He says, my father's working now. And to the religious leaders, that was the limit. That was the blasphemy that led them to want to kill Jesus. See, it's a personal possession. My is a personal pronoun of possession that to the Jews to the religious leaders that was taking possession of something that would only equate to him having the same rights, privileges, and authority of God the Father. And that's, that's why they said, this is blasphemous. This is blasphemy. They cringed at this. I would have cringed at somebody saying Jesus is Lord 16 years ago. It was cringeworthy. And for the religious leaders, it was going to bring Jesus' death. But for us, it's not blasphemy. It's symphony. It's beautiful music. It's not cringeworthy. It's praiseworthy. And it doesn't bring death. What does it say in chapter 20? That we might have life in his name. In his name, we have life. But I get it. I totally get it. Because like I said, before 2006, I was the blasphemer. I was the one using Jesus' name as a curse word all the time, every sentence. I'm not proud of this. I'm not saying this to shock you. I'm saying, hey, this was me. I, I don't... I don't have any other words than horrified and embarrassed by some of the things that I said about Jesus on Sports Talk Radio 20 years ago. 
Praise God, he is a merciful God. Praise God, he is 100% God, 100% man, fully God, fully man, full of mercy, full of love, full of power, full of authority that he can forgive. Because what I thought about Jesus, that wasn't just arrogant blasphemy. What I thought about Jesus destined me to eternal separation from God. What I thought about Jesus was leading to my death. See, the religious leaders, they didn't know who Jesus is or Jesus was. And they killed him. Latin word there is, is kaido. They killed him, murdered him, cut him off. And, and maybe you came in here and didn't know who Jesus is. And maybe you've kaidoed him out of your life. Maybe you've cut him off. But the question is do you want to be healed? Because if you do, knowing who Jesus is is mission critical. And if you came in here and not knowing who Jesus is, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust in him. But maybe you do know Jesus. Maybe you have trusted in Jesus and you've still kaidoed him out of some areas of your life. But he's worth it. If he's equal in worth, he's worth everything. He's worth our time. He's worth our talents. He's worth our treasures. He's worth, he's worth our, our generosity to others. He's worth changing our lives based upon who he is and submitting to do the things he says. Remember, the message began with there is a place called the Pool of Bethesda. We've heard this before. There is a place, and that place is a person, and that person has a name, and he wants us to come to him and rest. Jesus invites us to rest in him. Matthew says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. What an amazing invitation. And someday, resting in him eternally, someday there will be no more tears and no more pain, no more paralysis, no more cancer, no more divorce. No more crushing addictions. But it takes something. I do believe I, I, was, I was healed from addiction. And I do believe that it takes, yeah. And I do believe that it may take years or decades to get through addiction. but I needed eternal healing because I'm going to die. We're all going to die. 
But to get eternal healing, you have to believe and trust in the eternal healer. And here's that invitation. We're going to pray in just a minute. Because he's not just a guy. He's not just a good teacher. He's Jesus. He's God. He's worth following. He's worth submitting to. And yeah, there's going to be things that they're going to have to do. But I would replace that word have to with get to. We get to follow the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And there is sacrifice, but we get to sacrifice because he's worth it. He sacrificed everything for us. So let's pray. Father, it is remarkable that you have this perfect plan that Jesus saw in this man not just a physical healing, but an eternal healing. And you see in us our eternal healing. And you have a desire for us to come back into relationship with you. And because of Jesus' equality with you, it's easy to submit to his authority. It's easy to trust because he and you are equal. So if if you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus, if you walked in here not knowing who Jesus is and now you know, let's take care of that. If you're gathered online, let's take care of it now. So you can get on with the business of doing whatever he says. You can repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I now see who Jesus is. He's everything he says he is. He did die for my sins. He did die for the substitution of the penalty that I deserve. He took my place. And now I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to trust in him. Will you save me? Everybody keep their eyes closed, but if if that was you that just trusted in who Jesus is for the first time, and you're ready to follow him, raise your hand as high as it can get. Nobody's, nobody's looking at this right now, except for me, because we want to celebrate this. Raise it as high as you can. Our, our prayer team has a gift for you. Thank you. And our prayer team is here afterwards to pray for you. They're standing around in the auditorium. But for those who have already trusted in Jesus, and ask the question, who is he? Is he worth it? Yes, he is. He's worth making the sacrifices. He's worth the time. He's worth making church a priority. He's he's worth your generosity. He's worth teaching your kids about Jesus. He's worth 
being light in the workplace. He's worth holding your tongue on social media or your keyboards when everybody else is spewing out venom. He's worth telling others about how he has changed your life. And that is the challenge today. To say, yes, he's worth it. Father, we love you and we thank you. We're amazed that we get to gather together and give you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.